speaker and preacher leading you through the Word of God. And if you don't know who I am, by the way, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here at King Grace Church, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here today, because I trust that as we go through God's Word today, um, we are going to encounter God. That's actually uh, a miracle that as we meet in His name, He dwells with us, and we actually encounter Him through His Word, through worship together. And he uses people like me and you who, uh, in and of ourselves, we have nothing ultimately to offer God. Uh, knowing myself, uh, I have lots of things actually that would, that would work against me serving God. But in his grace and mercy, he sent Christ. Christ has shed his blood and been raised from the dead and has given his Holy Spirit to us. So there's forgiveness and there's power. So as we go to God's word, we can go in faith knowing that he wants to meet us. He wants to speak to us. So let's do that. Let's pray, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 10. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the power of your word. It's your living word. It's your word. You are the infinite and glorious God. And so what you have given us, what you want us to hear from you, is important and meaningful and powerful. And Lord, we need to hear your word today. We thank you that as you speak, life happens. So would you speak today? Would you use me, Lord, uh, to serve you and to serve your precious people and your purposes? Lord, your heart this morning uh, is to do many things. It's to bring glory to your name and show your glory. It's to edify your precious people, and it's to touch lives that, that maybe don't know you right now. So draw them as well, Lord. Show them your glory. We pray and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And the title of this message is Rescuing Christmas from Stress. And I think as we look at the story, that will become obvious how this passage ties in. This is a familiar story to many of us, a, a well-loved story about Martha and Mary and Jesus' visit to their home. So listen to God's word, Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. God's word, Luke 10, 38 to 42. This is a familiar story perhaps to many of us, a, a well-loved story for, for, for good reason. Um, it is a real uh, relatable story. It's straightforward, down to earth, uh, relatable, and yet packed full of really life-changing truth. In this in this short paragraph, we see all these things, a real-life situation, and then the truth of Christ coming in a powerful way to speak to people just like you and me. 
and this uh, story is, is just draws us in. Uh, what's going on here, Jesus and his band of followers, there are, are at least 12 others in his band, most likely more than that. There's a band of followers who are following Jesus. They've put their hope in Jesus as the Messiah, as God's promised king who would come and bring redemption. There are, there are different stages of figuring out what that means, but they, they realize he, he is the man. Uh, he is, perhaps for some of them at this point, the God-man. And uh, so they are following him. There's this entourage with Jesus, and he comes into this town of Bethany. It's a small town, not too far from Jerusalem. And uh, he comes into this town, and he's welcomed into the home of a woman named Martha. She welcomes them in, into her home. And, and that word welcome, uh, some, some Bibles translate that she opened her home or she received them. It's, it's not just like, oh, nice to meet you. You know, you can come in for a snack. It's she opened her home. She basically, in, in ancient Near Eastern fashion, said, uh, my house is your house. Come on in. Uh, for uh, much of history and different cultures, and to some degree in our culture, uh, to welcome someone in your home was, was really important. And, and you would treat your guests, actually, as the most important people in the house. You would offer them your very best of everything. You would, you would just be at their service. And that's what Martha has done here. She's opened her home to Jesus and his, his whole band of followers. And she's offering them her very best. And she's not alone in this home. Uh, we know from here and other passages that she had two siblings with whom she lived. Uh, they probably all were single. We don't know the whole story. Maybe Martha was a widow at this point, and it was her, her house that she had owned, and she had called her brother and sister to live with her. We, we don't know the full story, uh, but she's, uh, she's the one. She's in charge of this home, and there's two other siblings in the home. There's Mary, and we don't learn here, but we see elsewhere. There's also Lazarus, uh, uh, perhaps a younger brother. Martha is the oldest, and she's responsible for the home. And and in this story, Martha kind of maybe comes across negatively, but if you study Martha elsewhere and, you, and study her in this passage as well, actually Martha is a hero in many ways. She is a wonderful woman. She is a hardworking woman. She's responsible. She's practical. She's down to earth. She's the type of person who speaks her mind. Uh, and, and you can read in other passages where she, she does that. She, she sees the obvious and she states it. And uh, another incident where Lazarus actually dies, and Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. Uh, in process of doing that, uh, Jesus says, take the stone away. And Martha, who's, you know, aware of the obvious and, and speaks her mind, said, if you do that, he's go it's going to smell. So she's thinking, you know, the reality, you open the stone, it's going to smell. She's thinking about details. She's aware of that. She's just, in that case, kind of forgetting who's standing next to her uh, at that point. Uh, he's going to be able to take care of that. But she's a wonderful woman. In many ways, she's responsible. She's practical. And, and I want you to know, before we get into Martha and her heart, that, that I think Martha's are wonderful. As a matter of fact, churches are built on Martha's. Uh, churches are built on, on women and men uh, who, who know what's going on, who, who uh, love to serve, who take on the task and get things done. Uh, and so... I value Martha's, so I, I don't want you to think otherwise. And I think Scripture values Martha. God values Martha. Um, and so, so I want you to hear that uh, as we look at this. We need Martha's. If you're a Martha and I haven't spoken to you and you're not busy doing something to serve the Lord in this context, come and talk to me because we got things for you to do, Martha. 
to serve the Lord. So Martha is this, you know, this is this wonderful woman. Uh, she loves the Lord. She wants to serve the Lord. She has a, the, a faith in the Lord. I mean, if you look at the dialogue uh, in John 11, where Lazarus is raised, uh, she believes in Jesus, and she believes in the resurrection. That's her heart. Her, her focus is there, and that's what she really is in this story as well. She, she welcomes them into her home. This is, just think of this. This is a band of followers. Can you imagine just uh, someone showing up at your house with, not, with 12, not only 12, but probably others in their entourage, showing up at your house, and the implication is, do you mind if we stay here for a little while? Um, I mean, and then opening your home, saying, come on in. Come on in. We'll find space. We got space for you. We're going to, and then, you know, starting a feast. That's what, that's what Martha does here. It's, it's wonderful, her, her heart to serve. But it's interesting. What happens in the story is, is what starts out as a good thing turns bad. At first, it's a great thing. Martha's heart is right on, and, and she is wanting to serve God and serve Jesus and, her, and his followers. And, what, and she has all these great intentions. It's meant for blessing, but somehow in the experience, what was meant for blessing, what, were, what was comprised of good intentions gets twisted and turns sour and goes bad. What started out good goes bad to Martha. Isn't that kind of what Christmas can be like for us at times? It starts out with all these wonderful intentions. We have these best of intentions in Christmas. We think of the wonder of the season and and worship this morning, just thinking about the wonder of the incarnation, the infinite, glorious God who cannot be contained in all the universe. The universe does not contain God. He is greater and more glorious than the whole universe. The, The universe cannot fully show the glory of God. It cannot contain him. He's beyond comprehension. We can know things about him. We cannot know everything about him. He is glorious, and he yet humbles himself and somehow becomes a baby. That's just fantastic and amazing. He becomes God, becomes a baby, becomes a man. That's the wonder of the incarnation. And theologians have have pondered that for centuries and have not fully understood it. It's beyond understanding. And there's much that we can do just in worship and thinking about the wonder of the incarnation. So Christmas season is a time we, we think about that. We celebrate and we think about this opportunity to, to worship and remember these things and to gather with loved ones. We think about the ch- you know, children, young children, and, and just the sparkle that's in their eyes as, as we celebrate Christmas. There's all these wonderful intentions, all these good things. And yet, for us, often what starts out as a good thing goes bad. We start out with these desires and and, and this sense of joy in Christmas, and yet through the details and through the duties that are attached to that, we get distracted. And the season of joy and celebration turns into something else for us. Does anyone here identify with that? You know what, it doesn't just take Christmas for me, by the way. I can do this any time of year. Uh, I, I've, I've thought about 
my role as a pastor, and, and uh, I think I've shared this before, I get to do such a, an incredible job as a pastor. It's really the best job in the world. I, I, you know, I love my old job. I used to be a research engineer, and I loved it, and I would have stayed there uh, had not the Lord called me to serve this way. But it doesn't compare to what I get to do now. What I get to do now is amazing privilege. I sometimes I just sit back and think about what I get to do. I, I get to be a shepherd. I get to be someone who cares for and leads the, the most precious people in history, the most precious people in the whole universe, God's people. I get to serve them and lead them. Uh, I, I get to do that. I get to, I get to study God's word, his, his living word. I get to dig into his word. And I, as, all, as believers, we all love to read his word to some degree, though we may struggle at times, we all love to read it. I get to do it as an occupation. Uh, that's my job. I get to study the Word. I get to dig into the Word. I get to, I get to relate to people uh, in, in, in and through amazing stages of their journey in life. I, I, get to see, um, I get to see people come to Christ. I, I meet people um, whose lives maybe are falling apart, and, and I get to watch the process of them hearing and then the miracle of when, when, when it, the lights go on and it makes sense and their heart gets turned around and they find Christ, um, I get to be part of that and, and um, get to watch them get baptized. I get to baptize them. Um, it, I, I get to just watch them drink in the Word and, and watch them grow and watch them change. And I get to watch people who, who are loved of God grow in Christ. I get to see, for those that are, our believers, the lights go on for them as they start to get grace and, and their lives get changed and there's fresh energy to love God and love others based on the gospel of grace. I get to see that all the time. I get to serve uh, in preaching and leading on really what is the best 90 minutes of the week, I think, uh, to be here together with God's people. I'm, I just have this amazing job, and, and sometimes it, it hits me. But more often than not, I get distracted by the details. The joy and the wonder of what I get to do gets distracted by the details. I come, I get more uh, concerned with, with if the chairs are aligned or not uh, in the aisles. You may think I'm crazy, but it happens. I get concerned at times, oh, those chairs are not aligned. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that there are hearts aligned, sitting maybe in misaligned chairs, aligned by the gospel for the Lord. I, I worry at times more about the mold under the stairs uh, in the room in the corner than the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells among God's people in this building. I become more concerned with keeping the heating bills low. If you're here during the week, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, keeping the heating bills low, we keep it at about 50. Um, more concerned with keeping the heating bills low than enjoying the warmth of hearts ablaze by the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. I forget all those important things, and I get distracted. And I can be like Martha. I can complain. And I can just lose my zest for life and just be irritated and aggravated. And I'm guessing you're like me. And I'm guessing maybe for you at this season, you're especially aware of that tendency. And yet God in his kindness, think about this. God in his kindness knows about that, and he knows about you. And he's determined that today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and he's going to speak to you and speak to your heart 
to rescue you, to rescue Christmas for you, to rescue you from living distracted, living under stress. So let's continue in the story to learn about how he does this for Martha, and through that, how he does it for us. We see in the storyline, Martha has opened her home, and we meet her sister Mary. She has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. As we read that sentence, we may not realize that that actually should stand out to us, uh, particularly if we understood the ancient culture. Mary sat at his feet, and maybe we think, well, yeah, of, of course, I mean, you know, Jesus is there. I would have sat at his feet, too. I'm not sure. For Mary, her duties, her prime duties in some ways in terms of convention would have been to serve with her sister. To, to, she was a member of the household. Her duty was her guest, to, to serve her guest. And, and so in the story, we are following it. We see Mary, uh, Martha welcome Jesus and the, his band into the, her home. And then we see this, this unexpected statement that Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. So think of it maybe this way, maybe what went on. Uh, Mary, again, uh, would have started serving with her sister probably right away. So the, they welcome them in. They, they get situated, and Mary and Martha and are busy, and Lazarus is probably in the room entertaining the guests that way. Mary and Martha are busy in the kitchen area. Uh, the layout of the homes would have been different, but you can just picture your house. That works. Uh, in the kitchen area, getting the food ready and getting preparations ready to serve people. And, and so perhaps it happened this way. They're, they're working hard. They're getting the food and, and the first course of, of whatever gets served, you know, whether it's, it's drinks or hors d'oeuvres. I'm not sure in that day how they would do it, whether they do hors d'oeuvres first or, or whatever. Though, you know, just picture Mary. She comes out with, this, with the platter of, of things to serve, and they're all sitting around. Actually, they would have, in those days, they would sit on pillows on the floor uh, on, on top of Matt. So she comes around, and she starts serving. And she's there, and Jesus is teaching the crowd that's in the room, kind of probably squished in that room. There's probably He's probably reclining on a pillow, uh, and there's people around, people in the neighborhood are sitting around against the walls. There's all his disciples there, and he's teaching. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about Scripture. He's probably talking about the fulfillment of all things. We don't know exactly what he is saying, but he's teaching. And so Mary comes in, she maybe serves, and then she hears what's being taught, and she is there, and she decides that she's not going to go back in the kitchen. She's going to sit down at Jesus' feet, and she does that. She sits there. She sits there enjoying Christ, listening to his teaching. She makes a choice at that point of priority, what's most important here. I've got work to do, but this is Jesus. And he's teaching. And these words are life-giving. And my heart's being drawn to, to what he's saying. And so the work can wait. It's more or less what I think she said. The work can wait. Jesus is teaching. She sits down at his feet. Now, that's wonderful, but we have Martha still at work in the kitchen. Martha's busy doing her work, getting preparations ready, and, 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 and probably starting to think, where is Mary? Where did Mary go? I sent her out with that platter, and she's not back. Well, where is she? And I'm by myself, and there's 24 people in the other room who need dinner, and it's just me. What am I going to do? How am I going to get this all done? And, 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 and maybe at that point, 
her lasagna fell on the floor somehow, and, and she started struggling, doing her best to keep a good attitude. I know it's Jesus is here, and I, I know I need to help, but my lasagna just fell on the floor. My sister's out there having a good time. I'm in here dealing with a mess. And, and just like always, that's always how it happens. You know, whenever there's work to be done, Mary goes off somewhere and sits around, and I'm left doing the work. Would be nice to be Mary, wouldn't it? Would be nice to go and just relax. And, but I'm here slaving away in the kitchen while she sits there. She never helps. I'm always the one who gets everything done. And I'm always alone. And I'm sick and tired of this. And, and, you know, there's some sort of progression perhaps going on in her heart. And I, and, and, and I think it, it, it started probably on Mary. But then by, because of what she says later, it moves from Mary to Jesus. So she starts out perhaps blaming Mary for the stress that she's experiencing. Mary should be here. I'm left alone. Things aren't working. And then it starts to be on Jesus. And maybe she starts thinking things like, who do you think you are just showing up at my house and expecting me to do everything? Or maybe, uh, you know, hey, love to see you guys, but maybe next time, like a little heads up, please, ahead of time so we can get things ready. Um, Or, wait a second, Jesus is in there, and he's a prophet. He knows what's going on, and he knows I'm, I'm, I'm in here. And he's not saying anything. What is going on? And, and, and she, gets, she just kind of gets to the point where her, her pressure valve blows. It just goes off. And she marches in that room, right up to Jesus, hand on hip, perhaps, and says something really amazing to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She's talking to God. (laughs) This is God, the son, in the room. And she's commanding God to do something. And not only is she commanding God, but she's accusing God of not doing something, isn't she? Don't you care? Don't you care that that my sister has left me alone? Tell her to do something. She's telling Jesus, she's telling God what to do. She's accusing God of failing to do something and telling God what to do. And you and I never do anything like that, do we? During the Christmas season, you don't ever have those problems, do you? Nothing like, why me? Why now? Why did my lasagna have to fall on the floor right now? God, what's the deal? What are you thinking? I see no good in this. Don't you care? I got guests in there. The lasagna was all ready. What's the point? Do something about this. Do do you ever do things like that? I do. We do. This story is here for us. And what's, what's really amazing about this story is, is Jesus' response. He responds so graciously in this story. He's kind. He's merciful. And we need such mercy because we act like Martha. 
We act like Martha. And it may not be a situation like Martha for you. It might be a different situation. For me, sometimes it's a situation that it doesn't take much to go from, from what I'm supposed to be in Christmas, joyful, thankful, worshipful, to angry, distracted. It just takes going to the mall. That's all it takes during Christmas time. Right? You go to the mall. You're there for, with the best of intentions. I'm going to get gifts for everybody else. Uh, I want to get this thing for this person. And you go, and first you can't find a parking space anywhere near the mall. You've got to walk miles from where you park to get to the mall. Not that far, but you, you can't find a parking space. There's tons of people. People are everywhere. You go to the store. There's long lines, and, and the little old lady goes and grabs the piece of clothing you had your eye on before you get it and goes off with it. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of things. And it doesn't take much for us to go from, go from a, a wonderful Christmas attitude to Ebenezer Scrooge um, and even with Ebenezer we would think when we, you know you hear the story where he says uh, may, may they decrease decrease the surplus population talks about in the movie we can do that sometimes a little bit of time at the mall and on the roads Lord would you decrease the surplus population and we go from from you know joyful to Ebenezer Scrooge we have these attitudes and, and the irony of it is amazing, isn't it? This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is about God and his mercy and his kindness. Coming to this world full of surplus population that's wandering and lost. And in his mercy and compassion, becoming one of us and dwelling among us and identifying with us in all of our struggles. And offering that righteous life on the cross for our sins to rescue us from selfishness. Rescue us from our sin to himself. Thank God that we are not left alone. Thank God that Martha is not left alone. And so Jesus responds to Martha in this story. And it's interesting how he responds. He could have, I mean, he, it's God, right? And she comes in, she's hand on the hip. You know, don't you care? Tell her to do something. And he could have said, um, do you know who you're talking to? Is there a, a worm in the room somewhere? You're talking to me. You're talking to me. I'm God. He could have done that. Uh, he could have done more than that. He had the prerogative to do that, to rebuke her harshly. But, but he doesn't. What does he do? He says to her, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. And actually in their language, when you would call someone by their name, it took a different form. And the intention in that was, a, was a, a, an address of the person. And I believe in this context, Jesus is actually saying, Martha, it's in an endearing and earnest way. He loves Martha. And his attitude towards Martha is not Martha's, uh, like Martha's attitude towards him. His attitude is one of compassion and mercy and love for Martha. He cares for her. And he wants to rescue her from her distraction. He wants to rescue Martha from her idolatry. Martha has exchanged the glory of God for duties and tasks. She has exchanged living for him, enjoying his love, loving him back and loving others in his name to live to get things done. She's worried more about the preparations than God himself and others. And Jesus comes on a rescue mission 
for Martha to address her, and he goes right after the issue with her. But he starts out with this earnest, endearing form, Martha, Martha, hear me, Martha. He sees Martha's heart. He knows what's in her heart, and it's very dark at this moment. Her heart's very dark. She's accusing God. She's accusing her sister. And it's interesting, Martha's difficulty that she has is a heart issue with Martha. In her own heart, she has exchanged God for something else. Instead of living in God and putting her trust in God, to be her God, to be her redeemer, to rescue her from sin, and, and and to provide everything she needs, Instead of depending on him after the lasagna falls on the ground, realizing, okay, God, you're in control of this. We'll just do what we can and keep our eyes on you. Instead of living that way, she has exchanged that for idols. That is, that is really what sin is. Sin is saying, I want something else besides God. I don't want God. I want my own thing. I want it my own way. And it's even worse than that because in our human nature, it's not just that I don't want God, it's I want anything but God. That's what sin does. It's, it's the desire to find a solution to life that does not include God somehow, which is totally ridiculous because every good thing comes from God. There's no way to have good things without having God. But we can get away with deception and deceiving ourselves, and we are sadly in this natural state of sin where we don't see the obvious and we rebel against it. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of living separate from God is to continue to live separate from God and to find the full consequences of that separate existence, which is eternal existence from God. That's the worst punishment we could ever receive, and it's a just punishment for those that would choose to follow sin. That's the reality. That's the reality in Martha's heart at this moment. Sin is winning in her heart. There's darkness in her heart. And she thinks the answer is outside of her heart. She thinks it's an external answer. The answer here to my situation is to get Mary to help me. The answer here is to get Jesus to care. She thinks the answer is outside her heart. And she goes there, and we do the same thing as well. We think the answer to our problems, the answer to our stress, is outside of ourselves. If we could just get a better schedule, or we could clear the roads of all these people, or get someone to help me, or whatever, we look for answers outside. And the Bible consistently says the answer is not outside. It's about your heart, and and, and your heart being addressed by God. So hear that. Hear that this Christmas. Because your temptation will be to think it's outside myself. If I just had this, if I had a quieter household, if I had less guests or more money or more time or whatever it is, that's where you're going to naturally go. And this portion of Scripture and all of Scripture says, no, the issue is in the heart. And Jesus sees that. He sees Martha's heart. He sees the darkness of her heart. And he goes after that to bring redemption to her. It's amazing, Jesus in his mercy. 
And I'm going to continue to talk about how he does that specifically here, but, but there's a background that's really important for us to recognize because his rescue mission of our hearts and his rescue mission of Martha's heart goes beyond just this, this interaction. It speaks, to it, it, it speaks to the whole reason for his incarnation. He came to be a man to identify with us, to, to, to live a righteous life, to live a life where he did not get distracted by the other things. He did not look for the answers outside of himself. He looked to God and lived this righteous life, this perfect life of faith and obedience and fulfillment, and then offered up that life on the cross as a substitute for you and for me. In order to rescue us from our sin, sin had to be paid for. There had to be a payment. There had to be justice for sin. Otherwise, God would not be just. It would not be just for God just to say, oh, let's just forget about that. Let's just forget about what went on. And we, we understand that. If someone commits a crime and goes before the judge, and it's a serious crime, it has consequences to others, violated the law, and a judge would just say, well, you know, don't worry about, don't worry about that home invasion you did and the you know, all the, all the damage you did and harm you did, let's just forget about it and move on, okay? That would be unjust. We understand that. For God to say, let's just forget about that stuff, that would be unjust. There had to be justice. And God's prime solution for us is that we would find justice done in Christ. Christ went to the cross to rescue us from the just penalty that we deserve to pay. Left to ourselves. We will have to pay that ourselves. We can never pay it. We will spend eternity suffering the consequences of those choices if we don't turn to Christ. Christ offers himself. He died on the cross as your substitute should you receive him. He offered himself on the cross to pay for your sins entirely for your forgiveness. And then he was buried. He was dead, buried in the grave. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And when you turn from yourself and you turn from trying to find the answers and situations instead realize the the problem is here in my heart and I need a savior when you put your trust in Christ there's forgiveness there's life there's power to deal with life and struggles in a whole new way and so that's important background to hear as Jesus rescues Martha here he eventually goes on to provide for the full rescue of Martha and all those like Martha who are anxious and troubled by many things. Jesus says to Martha here, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus identifies how Martha is acting. She's anxious and troubled about many things. Her, her life is focused on the many things that have to get done. She's lost focus on the one thing. Jesus says only one thing is necessary. One thing. What is that one thing? Well, she, he's contrasting Martha with the many things and Mary doing one thing. What is the one thing Mary is doing? She's with Jesus. Right? She's spending time with Jesus. She's listening to him. She's at his feet. And Jesus is calling Martha to this one thing, this one necessary thing. 
Mary has chosen the good portion. It's interesting, that word portion. What's a portion? What's a portion? When, you, when it's Thanksgiving and you want some turkey, you get a portion of turkey, right? It's, it's a serving. It's a portion. And, and Jesus' word there is on purpose. Mary, uh, Martha is worried about all these portions that have to be served and all these things that have to be done. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the one thing, this portion, which is to be with me. That is the one thing that is necessary. That is the one most important thing, that portion to find our life in Christ, to turn to Him. Life is not about getting the chores done. Life is not about making the meal on time or having a clean house or getting your to-do list done or your shopping list done. Life is not about these duties. Life is not even about what you can do for God. And it's so easy to get caught up into a life of Martha for spiritual things and think that you're doing well when you're not. We can be full of self-righteousness and irritation with others as we serve the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy irony that we would, we would think that we're serving God when we can be like Martha? Thinking that life is about these many things that we have to do, but life is about this one thing that is Jesus, and the one thing in Jesus is not what we can do for Jesus, but what He has done for us. The core of finding Him as the one thing is, is knowing and living in what He has done for us. It's so important for us not to focus on the many things, but the one thing. And not to focus on the things that we would do for others or for Jesus, as good as that might be. And I'm not trying to say stop doing those things. But to focus on what He has done for us. I believe therein lies the cure for the Marthas in our midst. Stop focusing on what you must do for him or for others. And first and primarily focus on what he has done for you. He loves you and he's given himself for you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to get time with him. He wants you to be at his feet. He wants you to listen. He wants you to live life with him at the center. He wants you to learn to live in every aspect of life with him with you. Yes, there will be tasks to do, certainly. Martha is not rebuked for being busy. She's rebuked for being anxious and troubled about many things instead of the one thing. To find him as your center, to find him as your life, to find him as your portion, to put your faith in him. And when you go to do things, to be more aware of what he has done for you on the cross, paying for your sins, living that righteous life, being raised from the dead and now reigning. He reigns over creation and he guides us in life and he's there with us. He's the shepherd who will never leave us. And focusing on that one thing above all other things. That is the one thing that we are called to. If the band could come up as we close. Jesus calls Martha really implicitly here, to that one thing. Mary has chosen this good portion. It will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is best. Martha 
through choosing to be distracted, has not chosen what is best. But there's an invitation here. And implicitly, there's an invitation for you today as well. What will you do this Christmas season? What choice will you make? Will you choose the better portion? Will you choose Jesus? I think we all can struggle with being a Martha or a Mary. Maybe one thing to do to even process through how to respond to this section of Scripture is to say, where am I on a scale of 1 to 10? If 1 is Martha and 10 is a Mary, what am I? Am I a 1? Do I tend to be a 2, 3? Maybe you're a 10. That's great. I'm not. Where are you? And in relationship to that, what is God's call on you? He's calling you to be a Mary. He's calling you to make him your portion and your strength. To find your life in him, to first and foremost remember what he has done for you before you attempt anything for him or others. And then in that, even in the doing, to live with him nearby. Let me just give three ways that I think we can be helped this Christmas season in light of this passage. First, what I've said throughout is to remember what he has done for us in his incarnation, in his death, in his resurrection, before we do anything else. And when you're faced with chores, you're faced with duties, and we will have them, and, and those things are to be for worship, and they're to be a part of our enjoying the Lord. When you do those things, to remember what he has done, more than remembering the duty, and then as you do those things, to not forget why you're doing them. It's easy to get bogged down in the details, to think about the things that need to get done and forget about God himself. So a second way I would encourage you is to pray for those whom you're serving in those duties. Pray for them. Pray that through your serving, they would encounter God and his love and his grace and his goodness. As you do your shopping, pray for the people for whom you're shopping. Pray for the other shoppers, the ones that are cutting you off or whatever. Pray for them, for blessing, that they would understand and enjoy the Christmas season. Get your eyes off of the task and the details and yourself. Get them on the Lord and get others, others by praying. And I would encourage you to take time to slow down. There is something about sitting at Jesus' feet that gives us an ability to focus and not be distracted. You and I need time at Jesus' feet. So slow down this season. Find time. Maybe it's just 15 minutes. I know for some of us, uh, particularly um, moms, young moms with young children, it can be very hard. But even just finding 15 minutes in the morning to slow down, get some coffee, open up the Word, and read a psalm, and pray, and thank him for what he's done. Just to slow down and do that. If you can do more than 15 minutes, that's great. And if you can weave into your Christmas tradition some slowing down, that's even better. And I would encourage us who have children or, or part of a family to make family time to slow down. Maybe just every night at dinner, light an Advent candle like I forgot to do today. There we go.
light an Advent candle and just take time to read the Word or read a good Christmas story together to slow down, to develop and strengthen these habits of sitting at Jesus' feet. As you do these things and others as God would lead you, I believe God's going to help you. He loves you. And perhaps he's speaking to you today, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. May you choose that one thing this Christmas season.